So I went to church for the first time in quite a long time on Ash Wednesday and it's it's such a mixed experience. In one way the service I went to was very contemplative, thoughtful and there is something remarkable about being ashed, being signed with the cross to the words dust thou art and unto dust thou shalt return. There's something very terrifying about that moment. But the liturgy itself is so wrapped with this Western obsession with sin and penitence and wretchedness, this underlying story that there's a massive gulf between us and God, and that if we're lucky, absorbed in the right kind of abject self-denigration, God might reach across that otherwise infinite divide and save us. But in the meantime, we must just sit with the guilt, with the sense of all that's gone wrong. And in some ways, I get that too. People do feel dejected. People can feel that sense of guilt. But I have the words of my friend Russell Jefford, who I've also spoken to on this channel, in my ears. And his analysis that Western liturgies are perpetuators of shame. They keep instilling in people that sense that there is something deeply at fault, not just with what they've done, but with their very being. And that perhaps in the modern world where we're very alert to what shame does to people, how it freezes them, how it keeps them trapped, how it destroys people's inner life. We're just not willing to put up with that anymore. We sense how it doesn't actually help. And the framing, therefore, of so many Christian services, particularly in times like Lent, with acts that instill shame, beginning and ending with expressions of how terrible we are in God's sight. I think they just won't do. Now, the service I went to was saved somewhat by the readings. There was one from 2 Corinthians where St Paul talks about how this is the day of your salvation. And that's different. That's saying that attending right now God can be found, that there isn't a gap, there's a presence, there's a consciousness which can be born through this season. And then, of course, when you look to the Gospels and the account that is remembered in Lent of Jesus in the wilderness, I think you see something really very different happening. To borrow the phrase of Douglas Christie, Jesus goes into the wilderness, you might say, to practice paradise. The temptations are a refusal of this worldly abnegation, this worldly power, this worldly anxiety, and instead a turning to that which is more, and also here, the kingdom of God that is waiting to break through by our turning towards it. So, in the story, the devil appears and first of all asks Jesus to turn stones into bread. And Jesus says, you can't live by bread alone. A really remarkable 
temptation actually, given the stress that's put in the West, not just on abnegation, but also on social justice and the need to provide material goods, which of course is a good thing in a way, but when that becomes the sole preoccupation, as the devil is tempting Jesus, what can get missed is spiritual nourishment that's also available, that's also near. And so Jesus says, no, I won't turn the stones into bread. It's a bit like the scene between the Inquisitor and Jesus in the brothers Karamazov, where the Inquisitor says, look, people want their needs to be satisfied and without them, society breaks down. And Jesus kisses the Inquisitor and says, you've missed the point. Society breaks down when people become anxious about their existential concerns, about who they are, about their disconnection from all things. And unless you see that, you can provide as much bread as you like and there'll still be panic, there'll still be dread. And then the second temptation where Jesus is invited to perform spectacles, miracles, show for sure, objectively, beyond all doubt, with all the evidence that people demand, that God is here. And Jesus says no, because that doesn't change people. That keeps people stuck in the same mentality. The secular demand for life in the way that we understand it and so thwarts the change that can bring in the kingdom, thwarts the change that opens the eyes that can see, the ears that can hear, that attends to a different kind of beauty, the beauty of the lilies of the field, the beauties of the birds of the air, that give no thought for the morrow and so know of God's presence today. Jesus practising paradise, I think, in his encounter with the devil in that way. And then, of course, there's the third temptation where the devil takes him up to the great high place and says, you can have all this, you can have the world, you can have its ways, you can have all that I bring into this life. And Jesus says, no, this time is now for a different reality, a different kind of breaking in. It's going to ask people to face death, but in order that a tremendous reorientation, which is actually a remembrance, can take place. And people know that the source of their life is God's life, that their origin and their destiny is ever-present, even in the here and now. That the kingdom of God is not coming here or there, but the kingdom of God is within you. The wilderness experience of Jesus, the Lenten time now, can, I think, be a period in which so much that shapes the Western Christian tradition, so much that I think gets under the skin of those who still go to church and implicitly or explicitly is being rejected by those who don't, to bring good news. The kingdom of God is here. It can change life now. We're invited to consider what we attend to for sure and ask how we're mistaken about that, but only because the promise is the kingdom of God has come near and now we can turn to it.